Welcome to Foundations of Emo, hosted by Claire and Danny. Each episode we take one of our favourite bands and dive deep into their history and origins, reminiscing on our own emo roots along the way. It feels like so long since we've done this. It does, because it's probably has been. Well, it's longer than it usually is. Pause, guys. Sorry about that now. That's my fault. <laughs> I was tired. <laughs> Sorry, the podcast is late. Claire was tired. I'm old. <laughs> Any news since the last time we Any talked? Any news? No, but... Guess what exciting thing I have next weekend? What? Leeds Slammed Up Festival. Oh, I forgot you were going to that. Oh, no. You little bitch. Can't wait. It's on the Sunday. I'm so excited. Who are you most excited to see? Hmm. <laughs> That's a good question. Nobody. Because <laughs> we were talking about this and what bands we're going to see because there's so many clashes. And Enter Shikari clash with The Offspring. Now, to say I'm not the biggest fan of The Offspring. Yeah, I'd choose Enter Shikari. Yeah, but see, I feel like I've seen Enter Shikari before. I'll see them again. Will you ever really see The Offspring? They were the first rock band I ever saw live. Okay, never mind. But like (laughs) everyone else, where on earth did you see The Offspring? In the Three Arena. What? Well, I think it was the point. Yeah, when I was like 14, my friend wanted to go for her birthday. We'd only just started getting into rock music, like we were listening to Good Charlotte, and she she had an older cousin who was really cool, and was like, "Hey, I want to go to the Offspring for my birthday. Nobody buy me a present, just buy a ticket, and we'll all go." So it was like my first rock gig I ever went to. That is wild. Yeah, the <laughs> wildest story. Okay, I and I didn't even like them, and I still don't. Yeah, I still don't. I just want to see that one song. Wait, is that Pretty even... fly for yeah, a while. Like, oh my god, my head was like, "That's not them. That's not them." I was like, "What other songs are they have?" Limp Biscuit. I don't know. <laughs> And I also bought a ticket for 1975. Yes. Because I'm so easily influenced. Yes. Not very emo. No, but still. Yeah. Well, like, to be fair, they're pretty emo. Like, the lyrics and stuff. <laughs> I mean, I literally only know that chocolate song, really. But look, it's You fine. have been missing out. Get ready to be converted. <laughs> well, I went to see Dayseeker last yes. week in Glasgow. So jealous. Went to see them in the garage, which is such a lovely little yeah, venue. great venue. Ended up in the fourth row, like not even trying, just like people moving around. And I just was like, oh, I'll step into this empty space, into this empty space. And I was like, oh my God, Rory Rodriguez is right there. <laughs> and he's a babe. He's just so cute. When I say babe, sorry, just to clarify, I don't mean like, oh, he's a babe as in, oh, he's so hot. I mean, sometimes they use the word babe for like, little babe, you know? Yeah, like, he's he, is a little, like, like, he is a little babe. I yeah, want to like yeah. give him a hug and yeah. take care of him. <laughs> And then he played all the big singles kind of midway through and then finished on Neon Grave and then was like, okay, thanks, good night. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, I was like, there's no encore? Yeah, yeah. I was, and I, then I, like, my brain was just trying to flick through the whole catalogue and I was like, they didn't miss a single song, like, every single single they played. Yeah. I was like, what could they possibly play? And then he came out and they sang Afterglow, which is the song he wrote for his daughter. It's like the last song on the oh. new album. And it was just him and a little acoustic guitar singing to his daughter. When I say I cried, <laughs> I was like, you bastard, you got me. You got me so good. <laughs> were you crying while you were dancing? I was. I was indeed. <laughs> but anyway, speaking of bands, the band that we're here to talk about today is The Used. Yes. And I'm excited for this one because I didn't know anything about The Used going in. I know nothing about The Used. I listened to them for years and knew some of their songs like the back of my hand but like I didn't know anything personal about no. them I didn't know their story didn't know anything nope just knew the lead singer was Burt McCracken yeah that's all that I knew as well basically so we are here on a learning journey together <laughs> let's <laughs> go have, for it I've learned some things so they formed in around the year 2000 in Orem Utah 
and there's lots of conflicting things saying that they originally started out being called Strange Itch and then <laughs> there was other things saying they started out being called Dumb Luck both good names but I don't know if that was the original name for the used or if that was kind of older bands that some of the other mm-hmm. members had been in before so I'm not 100% sure on that I couldn't find out the, the facts so it started with drum, drummer Brandon Steinekirch or something <laughs> along those lines he was raised in a Mormon family and when he was 11 his father completed suicide which inspired him to take up drums as his father had played when he was his age and it allowed him to release his anger there was also guitarist Quinn Allman, who grew up watching his father play drums, so took it up at the age of five. But then when he was 14, he started playing guitar and was in bands by the age of 15. And then bassist Jeff Howard took up bass because his friend played guitar and it worked well for like one of them to play bass and the other to play guitar. Sounds like something we do. Yeah. <laughs> Make someone be a drummer. Yeah. Which is what we did. The three of those started working on songs they didn't have any lyrics because they didn't have a vocalist. So it was they were just kind of making music together. And they obviously decided we need a vocalist for this band. So they started doing auditions in Jeff's house. And they weren't impressed with anybody. And apparently they auditioned a lot of people. And they just didn't like anybody. So Quinn reached out to Bert McCracken and asked if he wanted to join. So this again is another story that I couldn't find like the full information. Yeah. But there was something about like he'd seen Bert play and the kind of knew he could sing and that's why he asked him. But yeah. then there isn't any information about Bert being in a band before they used. So I don't know. So we just knew from somewhere that he was yeah. I don't know how we knew him. So a little bit about Bert. He grew up in a Mormon family as well. They are in Utah, so <laughs> there's a lot of Mormons. Yeah. He stated that he read voraciously as a child, as his mother was a school teacher, and he started playing trumpet at the age of twelve <laughs> in a local band called I'm With Stupid. <laughs> Love it. So he liked the music that the used were making before they were called the used. So they gave him some music and he wrote the lyrics to what would become maybe memories. So he re- they gave him the music, he wrote the lyrics, and he recorded the demo the next day and handed it to them. And oh it was maybe God. memories. And, and it made on to their first album. They were just like, okay, you're in the band. <laughs> <laughs> so that's really cool. So during the band's early days, they lived in poverty. Bert dropped out of school at 16 and he was kicked out of his house. The members suffered homelessness and substance abuse. Sometimes they busked just to get money to get food. They named themselves used as friends of theirs said they felt used by them because they were too busy with their band to be there for them. Oh, that's kind of So they originally just called used. (laughs) They wrote and recorded a demo album in Brandon's bedroom called Demos from the Basement. And they then sent it to John Feldman from the ska group Goldfinger. They were just obsessed with this band Goldfinger. And they were like, we want to get it to John. We want him to hear our music. Even though their music obviously yeah, is not, not anything ska. like ska. But when John heard Box Full of Sharp Objects, he flew the band to LA at his own expense in order to help them find a record label. And at first there was very little interest, but eventually they started to get offers. The first week of January 2002, they signed to Reprise Records. Got a box of sharp what a tune like, <laughs> just have to say that I obviously know they're from the first album but it's just wild that they're some of the first songs they ever, ever wrote because yeah. they're so good so it turned out that there was a band from Boston that had already trademarked the name used so they added the the and became the used I prefer the used yeah definitely used I don't know it's not the same <laughs> so in June 2002 they released their self-titled debut album Produced by John Feldman, who provided backing vocals on Bulimic and Greener with the Scenery. And this album had the singles Taste of Ink, Buried Myself Alive and Blue and Yellow. They all entered the charts and the album was certified platinum. Such a good album for a debut album. 
what an album I compare that to say Good Charlotte's TV <laughs> <Yeah. album. laughs> not that I don't love Good Charlotte I just think nothing sounds like them there's so many bands yeah. out there that scream and there's so many bands that you know do similar but mm-hmm. nobody sounds like the used and I think Bert's vocals are like are a big part of that massive part yeah the second you hear it you're like oh that's Bert McCracken <laughs> yeah really really good that album is just like as soon as you hear the riffs like the opening riffs you know dun, exactly dun, who dun, it is dun, yeah, dun, yeah. Dun, dun, dun. you're like yes yeah. <laughs> so good um I, I don't really remember how I first heard it but I knew like I just was instantly in love with it the first time I heard it and I remember switching between the first two albums In Love and Death and this yeah on my disc man and I was just like oh just hit every time I listen to it and even to this day like it, it doesn't age no like when we went back and listened to them for this I was so excited to go back and listen to them because I was like oh what a good album and it is like it could have been made today yeah yeah really really good and again I don't know where I started listening to them maybe did I start no, do you know? Did I start listening to them because you were listening to them? Maybe I feel Probably. like that was a thing. Bit of an influencer over here. <laughs> but I remember having those two CDs as well. It's so good, so good, even to this day. So over the summer, they played Warp Tour and Ozfest, and despite it not being released as a single, a box full of sharp objects started to get played on the radio and TV stations. Oh, can you do that? <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> what I loved, I went back and I watched a DVD that's like a video diary from this time. They're kind of going back and talking about how they started and talking about making the first album and stuff like that. And they are all so excited. But they talk to John Feldman as well. And he is just, he's in love with them. Like he is in love with the band. (laughs) And he's so excited about them. And he was saying that like they went to this house to record and they'd at two o'clock in the morning, they'd be like, right, we're ready to record this part. And they just had so much enthusiasm. And Bert would be singing with a bin beside him because he'd be screaming so hard that he'd be vomiting. Oh, Christ. And there's loads of videos of him in the early days screaming on stage and throwing up. <gasps> kind of not into the audience, but like in front of the audience. Jesus, that is dedication. And something else that John Feldman said was that he's never seen a band so dedicated to each other. That they would, if one person was like recording their guitar, they'd all sit around and listen and like, yeah, man, yeah, this part's really cool. And like, you're doing great and all. Where he said a lot of bands, they'd kind of be like, okay, what time do I have to be here for my part? Okay, cool. Whereas they all wanted to be involved in everybody's parts and all. Please don't ruin it all by telling me there's like 7,000 band change lineups <laughs> somewhere just, along the way. It's like, it. the documentary is on YouTube if you look up Video Diary of the Used. And I just, I fell in love with the whole band watching it because it's just so cute. Just the enthusiasm and the excitement. And even just that John Feldman is like just as excited as they are. And it's, well, it's not his band, but he's producing them. Is he much older than them? Well, at the time, the band were like kind of 18, 19, 20. Mm-hmm. So he would have been older, but I don't really know yeah. what age he is. <laughs> not like dad age. <laughs> so in late 2002, they went on tour supporting Boxcar Racer across the US. And in January 2003, they went on a headlining tour of the West Coast with support from Taken Back Sunday. In February, they went on a headline tour of the East Coast with support from Finch and My Chemical Romance. (gasps) This was followed by a co-headlining US tour with Finch and support from From Autumn to Ashes. Great band. And then they went on to tour with Coheed and Cambria, then thrice, all in the first half of the year. Wow. Like, that is some serious name dropping big, I just did there. names. <laughs> and at this time, they started to gain recognition as Bert was dating Kelly Osbourne and appeared on The Osbournes. I just forgot that completely. That is my first memory of ever seeing Bert McCracken. I remember watching The Osbournes, and that was before I was into rock, but I thought The Osbournes were really cool. And I remember watching it and seeing Kelly's boyfriend and hearing he was in a band. Maybe that's why we started listening. Maybe. 
I remember thinking he was really cool, but he also looked like he smelled. He really looked like. And they he do talk a lot about how he smelled. Oh, do they? <laughs> yeah. Oh no. So I went on a deep dive trying to find the episode I could remember because I have this very vivid memory of Kelly and Bert fighting, but sitting on a sidewalk outside a house. Oh, I remember that. And I couldn't find. There's. It's really hard to find clips of it online. I couldn't find that clip. I could only find a clip where he was like dodging Sharon around the house. <laughs> And she was trying to find him and eventually she called him into the office and she was like having a very normal conversation. He was really anxious and she was like, um, what time is your gig tonight? And he was saying like eight o'clock or whatever. And he was like, we're headlining. So it's pretty cool. And Sharon was like, oh, that's lovely. And then she goes, what's this I hear about you having a cauliflower dick? Oh my God. <laughs> so that's apparently something Bert is famous for having a cauliflower dick. What is a cauliflower dick? Do I don't know. know. And I don't want to know it's like a floret is it <laughs> a head like a floret <laughs> or is it like white and spongy oh no stop <laughs> with leaves growing out the side so i don't really know what happened with kelly and bert i think they were just young to be honest yeah uh, apparently she has said in interviews since that like her least favorite episodes are the ones with bird in it oh i think there's a couple of episodes that she hates them all Why? i don't know but was she only like 16? I don't know what age she was. Yeah. She was young. Then I read that they have like become friends since. Oh, so, that's nice. I don't know. Yeah. Because they've matured. Yeah, well, they're well in their 30s now. So I hope so. In July 2003, they released a CD DVD album, May Bring Memories, which was a live album with some rare unreleased tracks and demos with the DVD featuring the history of the band. So that's what's on YouTube. Member bios and part of a live concert. And that has been certified platinum. In 2004, Bert's ex-girlfriend Kate died of a drug overdose while pregnant with his child. That is the story that somebody told me. Do you remember the last one? I was like, somebody told me a wild rumour about them, but it was probably made up. This was the first yeah, I yeah, heard yeah. about it. No, I'm, I'm researching I just remembered who it was that told me, but I remember they told me and I was like, wait, this doesn't make any sense. That can't be true. But it's true. Yeah, no, it's true. So prior to her death, they had split up, but they decided to keep the baby and try to stay friends and work it out. So this happened during the recording of their follow-up album, which they went on to call In Love and Death in Her Memory. Oh. Bert wrote the song Hard to Say years previously about her but only after she died they were like okay we have to put this song on the yeah. album and then they dedicated it to her that's so sad and like you know that song it's like it's hard to say oh. that I was wrong it's hard to say oh. I miss you like that's really sad it's really heartbreaking now yeah. knowing that yeah. <laughs> like it's a it's a heartbreaking song anyway because it's about heartbreak but I'm really glad that <laughs> did I just say it's a heartbreaking song because it's about a heartbreak you know hi english and other uh, deep shit <laughs> i was really worried you were gonna say the song was the song that i have as my song to skip and i was like oh no <laughs> that's awkward <laughs> so brandon the drummer said that there was always some kind of butting heads going on whether it was big or little stuff which created this underlying tension throughout the record oh i know what's coming <laughs> Bert said everything that went into the record me having lost two friends tension within the band and tension with our producer was mostly positive because it all made the songs come together like magic oh that's <laughs> a positive spin on it yeah like I suppose there is kind of like anger on the album when you think of some of the songs mm. but like I never was like wow it sounds like the band hate each other on this album yeah definitely not so the album was released in September 2004 produced by John Feldman again and it features singles Take It Away, All That I've Got, I Caught Fire, and Under Pressure. Take, 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 take. 
So Under Pressure was released on a, a subsequent like version of the album, like yeah. a different edition, because they had released that with My Chemical Romance to benefit victims of the 2004 tsunami. That was a great cover. Yeah, Because I think it was mostly because you were just so excited to see Burt McCracken and uh, Jared Way on the same song doing their thing. Yeah, I, I fell into a deep hole trying to research like their friendship and everything. Because it was a thing, wasn't it? They had like a... But they were friends and there's like lines in each of their songs about each other yeah, and there's pictures yeah. of them together and there's Bert wearing My Chemical Romance t-shirts yeah, and yeah. things like that but like there's not really a story there they were friends and obviously the internet took that and ran with it as like they must be more than that <laughs> well yeah they created <laughs> that kind of legend around it fan but, fiction yeah but there like there isn't like a story oh to discover um, but apparently they actually kind of fell out in later years I was gonna ask is there like a later you know fallout or something because you don't really hear much about the two of them yeah no apparently they just kind of fell out I think Bert spoiler alert gets clean and stops drinking and doing drugs all the time mm. but I think My Chemical Romance were very much in it at the time okay yeah so they just didn't have that much in common that's anymore fair, that's fair <laughs> they were living different we'll lives we'll let them have that but I think that when My Chemical Romance said they were coming out with their latest tour like after all their time away and everything and everyone was so excited about them coming back myself included Bert kept making all these rumours that the youths were going to support them and every time he was doing interviews he's like hey did you hear My Chemical Romance are coming back wouldn't it be cool if they had a good support act like us and you know just stuff like yeah, that but yeah. obviously it never happened how good would that be oh, I would die <laughs> I would simply pass away <laughs> <laughs> and I think I just remembered where I first heard the used yeah I think it was the single Take It Away where like I'm I think it was on it yeah it was on like one of those rock CDs. sound DVDs yeah, yeah, or yeah. something like that and then I think I went back and bought the albums after that but that just had a memory there when I said the name I think it was one of those ones where the second album is what I listened to first and then I went back. Yeah, probably the same. So The Guardian gave In Love and Death three out of five stars, saying songs of self-abuse and suicide and those are the sunnier moments are wrapped up in wailing riffs, big choruses and fiddly guitar solos. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a pretty kind of good analysis of it. it. That's why I included it. So I was like, that, yeah, that's, that's the yeah. album. And it also went on to become certified platinum. So they're just they're flying. Super successful. Absolutely flying. <laughs> <laughs> to promote the album, the band appeared on Jimmy Kimmel Live, which is another one. Is everyone on Jimmy Kimmel Live? I feel like, yes. <laughs> and went on a series of in-store acoustic performances and signings. October and November, the band went on a headlining tour of the US with Head Automatica. Do you remember them? Uh, oh my God, did they have that song? Beating hearts, baby. Baby, no. I was thinking of... <laughs> Who's that band? That... <laughs> wow, you just ruined my moment. <laughs> I was waiting for you to get really excited about that song. No, I was going to say, who's the band? I just remembered who it is. I was getting them confused. Was it the automatic? Oh. What's that coming over the hill? Is it a monster? Not the same band. Oh, definitely not the same band. Atreyu, The Bronx and The Bled, supporting on selected dates. So in early 2005, they headlined Taste of Chaos in the US and they played mm. Download. In August, they went on a headline US tour with support from 30 Seconds to Mars. Support from 30 yeah. Seconds to Mars? Oh. They're huge. Jared Leto would not like that. <laughs> Jared Leto does not like to be below anybody. <laughs> in October, they headlined the International Taste of Chaos tour. And after touring, they took eight months off before starting work on their next album. Which is fair play because they have just non-stop from the time they released this the record they were just like tour 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 but when we went back to go through like their catalogue of albums I felt like it was like album after album after album and they must be touring in between that yeah because like, no I don't think there was really a mention there of them taking time off to record in Love and yeah. Death like it was kind of just, just happening yeah 
fucked is happening. So in September 2006, they announced that Brandon, the drummer, had left. No. Where's my bell? Ding, ling, ling, lineup change. Genuinely, if you watch the DVD that I watch and see the love that they have oh, for each no. other, it's so upsetting. Like, no. then I started doing this research and I was bereft. <laughs> So they said they felt they needed to move forward without him and that there was a personality conflict between Brandon and another band member, although they didn't specify who. The following day, Brandon stated that he was in fact kicked out of the band. His quote was, Quinn, Bert and Jeff have agreed that they no longer want to play music with me. Later in the year, they announced that new drummer Dan Whitesides of the New Transit Direction, who I've never heard of. Never heard of them. And Brandon has since joined Rancid. What? Yeah. <laughs> so oh he's doing well. God. Yeah. And he, 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 there's like quotes from him saying, you know, I've loved this band since I was a child yeah, and now yeah. I'm in them. Like, so. That must be so wild. Yeah. That's cool. So in February 2007, they released live album Birth, which I love because it's spelt Birth. I was going to say, birth. is it a play on words? Yeah. <laughs> With another DVD. This is something else I found that they released like 8 million DVDs. Like everything they released, they're like, here's a DVD to go with it. Although none of it's on YouTube. Like that very first one is on YouTube. The rest you have to actually buy the DVD. Yeah. it's re- They're really hard to find. And I was reading the comments on YouTube and so many comments were like, where are the other DVDs? Can Aww, someone please upload someone them? Someone must have them. Yeah. Upload they're them. They're just not on- online. So they spent most of the start of 2007 on the Warp Tour and then in May released their third album, Lies for the Liars. For some reason I always forget about this one. Yes. But every time I listen to it, I'm like, this is full of bangers. I also forget about it. Full of bangers. <laughs> they wrote 40 songs, of which 19 were recorded, and then they chose 11 for the album. How do you have that much talent and creativity <laughs> that you can write 40 songs? Again, this is something that happens again later on for another album. Like, they just write, like, 8 billion songs. And then they're like, okay, these are the best 30. Let's record these. So, chose 11 for the album out of the 19 they recorded. But then the other eight songs were released as bonus tracks on different editions of the album. Huh. A special edition of the album included a bonus DVD. <laughs> because they didn't have a drummer at the time of recording it, Dean Butterworth of Good <gasps> Charlotte recorded the drums for this album. Oh my god, Dean! Oh no, our old pals! <laughs> Love the crossovers. So there's only two singles from this album, The Bird and the Worm and Pretty Handsome Awkward. Am I controversial if I don't like The Bird and the Worm? I did like it. I feel it's a bit overplayed now, to be fair. I just was listening to it, I was like, okay, it's not really my vibe. I like when they're like, hey, like a bird. Hey. <laughs> that part. And Pretty Handsome Awkward is an absolute banger as well. Yeah. So the album artwork features Chatham, which is like Adam with Chad at the start, which is a character from an animated web series designed by Alex Pardee, who also created the cover for In Love and Death, Birth, and a number of their singles, as well as the animations in the video for All That I've Got. Oh, so he was all over there, vibe. Yeah, oh. he was doing thing, doing bits with them for a while now, he was. <laughs> but you know Chatham is like that like blockhead type. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's iconic. I think... I want to say that they were playing gigs and like had him had a character dressed up as Chatham on stage. I've never seen. But I might have made that up life. in a fever dream. <laughs> I did not it research to see if that was a true fact or if I was just making that up. It sounds good. So they were supposed to play Warp Tour in June and July 2007, but had to cancel because Bert had to have vocal cord surgery. <laughs> Running theme with yeah, all of our yeah. episodes. But again, this is similar to the Ollie Sykes in that they were doing so many drugs. They were drinking so much and then he was screaming at the top of his lungs. So yes. like, what do they expect? Your vocal cords can't hack it, man. <laughs> <laughs> so 
When he recovered, they went on to play Reading and Leeds in August and then did another US tour. As you do. They are non-stop. Non-stop. So in May 2008, they released the Shallow Believer EP, which was comprised of the B-sides that didn't make the album. They had also started working on their fourth album, Artwork, which they hoped to get produced by Rivers Cuomo of Weezer. However, they didn't get into the studio to record it until the end of the year. And so Matt Squire produced it. He's also produced Panic! at the Disco in the, oh. in the past. This is the first album that wasn't produced by John Feldman. John Feldman, our friend. I was like, where, where was he? Yeah. Like, even when they were like, oh, we really want Rivers from Weezer to produce it. I'm like, what about John? Good old John, he hasn't led you wrong. Exactly. The three albums were incredible. They all got platinum. Yeah. What do you think of this album? No, I don't like it as much. I mean, I like it. I don't think it's bad. I don't think it's but bad. But it's not like quintessential the used, the mm. way the others are. Yeah. Like I could skip past it. No bother. Yeah. I listened to it a few times actually in the lead up to this because because we took so long to record this, I actually had more time than usual so I yeah. could listen to things more than once. And I have listened to it before, but I got to kind of get to know it a bit more and I do like it. But If you had to pick an album of the used to listen to, I would not pick this yeah, one. Yeah, no, definitely not. So this was the first album with Dan Whitesides as the drummer and they were also under new management within Reprise Records. So the album was eventually released in August 2009. So there was kind of a lot of change going on at the Mm -hmm. time. So they felt that their previous albums all had a similar sound. So with this one, they wanted to create a new genre that they labelled Gross Pop. I love it. What is (laughs) Gross Pop? I did, I like the name, but then I was kind of like, their older stuff could probably be described as Gross Pop. Gross Pop, yeah. A lot of blood stuff grossness the way i cut up her mouth the night i stuffed it all in oh <laughs> that's a quote so yeah he said that in an interview with alternative press Bert said we've always kind of brought pop sensibility into heavy rock but this is going to be all that much more tantalizing and brutal our songs are 10 times messier and noisier than they've ever been i don't really get that with this album like it i almost get the opposite yeah i feel like they're a bit calmer or something yeah like i it has a lot of energy like there's songs like blood on my hands mm. that's on this album isn't it yeah yeah and you're you know it's chanty and it's like but i wouldn't be like it's grosser than ever and so messy, messy. Like, yeah. the, i feel like the, the other albums are messier definitely but anyway mm-hmm. the themes of the record include coming to grips with how much you really hate yourself and the concept of mortality <laughs> uplifting stuff all yeah, around yeah Bert being uplifting as usual <laughs> Bert who had previously lived a reckless life that's in quotes had recently realised how easy it is to accidentally die after the death of actor Heath Ledger oh. and the song Meant to Die is roughly based on that oh. Heath Ledger inspired the used you heard it here first <laughs> <laughs> how easy it is to accidentally <clears throat> die <laughs> I thought that was funny. That's why I kept it in. So Quinn described Blood on, Blood on My Hands as a track that sums up everything about the used. And I had to keep that quote in because yeah. I don't agree. I don't Do agree. Know? No. I feel like a box of sharp objects. Yeah. Sums up the used. Yeah, yeah. Quintessential not used. Blood on my Blood on My Hands. Like it's a good song. Don't get me wrong, but it's not the used. Yep. This album features Bert McCracken's brother, Joseph McCracken, singing on two songs. Oh. I just thought that was cute. <laughs> The album was also released as a special edition CD and DVD package with behind the scenes footage. They went on a UK tour in the September and then a US tour in the October and November. Every person who purchased a ticket online was sent the demo, Something Safe, and an uncensored music video for Blood On My Hands. Oh, that's so cool. cool. In April 2010, they cancelled their upcoming international tour dates and began to work on their fifth album. 
There was a significant delay as they parted ways with Repri- with Reprise Records, who they had been with for ten years. Yeah, because I didn't say another band. Man. I was like, I couldn't figure out why they cancelled all their international tour dates. Say. I was like, what the fuck? And it took me ages to find out. But then I was like, okay, they're leaving the management, so there's just like stuff going on. I thought the way you said that was ah, let's cancel all and start work on the next yeah, album that's, instead. that's what I read when I originally read it. I was like, the neck. <laughs> the fucking neck. <laughs> so they said they had to wait and see if the new record would be released through reprise or not, which is what led to the delay. Because obviously there's like Makes contracts sense. and stuff. So, In 2011, they created their own la- label called Dental Records, which is just <laughs> chef's kiss. Beautiful. Love so it. So good. <laughs> and they plan to release their fifth album, Vulnerable, through that it turned out that the name Dental Records was already taken. Aww. So they renamed their label to Anger Music Group. Oh. Isn't quite good. Catchy, not Isn't quite as good. <laughs> Vulnerable was eventually released in March 2012 as a joint release between Anger Music Group and Hopeless Records. Which I think is really strange. I don't understand a how joint. you can do a joint release. Yeah. I don't I don't understand it. <laughs> Three singles were released from it. I Come Alive, Put Me Out and Hands and Faces. It was produced by John Feldman. Yeah. He's back, baby. And Bert said, this record is really about becoming more than just who you are and allowing yourself that vulnerability to be a more powerful person. It's a lot more positive than a lot of records we've written in the past. I think everyone could use some positivity nowadays. There's a lot of hip hop influence, beats and drum and bass kind of stuff, but it's also still a lot of soft and heavy sounds. There are a lot of brutal, sharp, bright sounds and the tempos are anywhere from ultra slow to super fast and heavy. There are a lot of different conceptual feelings on the record. So basically he's like, it's fast and slow and loud and quiet and, and all, big of, and small. all of the things. <laughs> <laughs> so to just support the album's release, they did a North American tour in May and June, headlined Warp Tour in June, July. But in June, they were forced to cancel all Canadian dates because of Bert's criminal record. He said he was not allowed into the country for 10 years due to some teensy eensy misdemeanors, including trespassing from years earlier. Mm-hmm. I don't understand how you get so far as to like announce dates, have them planned. Yeah, and then you're and like, then wait be like, a second. Oh, I knew there was a country I couldn't go to and it was, it was just on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> like, I don't know how it got that far. Yeah. <laughs> Four Canadian fans with their tickets ready to go and they're like, oh, he's actually just not allowed in the country for 10 years. <laughs> actually, I was listening to a podcast that one was Shane told and he was interviewing uh, Rory Rodriguez. And they were saying that when they started out, they couldn't get into Canada because one of their band members also had a criminal record in Canada. And they're like, no, bro, you're not getting in. Hmm. Common thing, thing, apparently. So in January 2013, reissued the album Vulnerable as a two disc set called Vulnerable 2. (laughs) I mean, it's in Roman numerals, so it's fancy. In June, they announced The Ocean and the Sky and released the EP the following month. And in August, they released a documentary on the making of the EP. They love a documentary. Love they a love documentary. Love releasing things. What do you think of the album Vulnerable? So this is where with bands, I struggle a bit because I almost feel like they release so many things, you lose touch with them. Mm. There's too much to listen to that you can't absorb it as much because you're too busy on to the next one already. Yeah. So... I get what he means when he's like, this is slight, not, I wouldn't say it's more positive, but I definitely get the different influences. Mm. Don't enjoy it as much as the other ones. The first time I listened to it was in the lead up to this episode. And I was like, this is so lukewarm. Like I'm not feeling anything. Lukewarm, great adjective. (laughs) I was like, it's, you know, it's not bad. There aren't songs on it that I was like, oh, turn that off. Mm. But it wasn't grabbing me the way their other stuff does. 
But then I listened to it a second time later on and I was actually feeling it a bit more. So maybe it's one you have to listen to a few like times. It, it's a grower. Yeah. I kind of felt a bit more as a filler. Yeah, yeah. Another like it's it wasn't a filler, like not a grower. blowing my mind. <laughs> Lukewarm, <laughs> as we said. And then um The Oceans and the Sky. I did listen to it once, but it's only an EP. I, oh, I listened really to it. it. Hang on, is this one it's only got five songs, but it's like super long. The album. Yeah, yeah, it was weird. It was very experimental, I found. Yeah, and the, it's like the album's like 41 minutes long. There's only a few songs on it. I wasn't feeling that at all. But it was an EP, so I was like, give it to them. Everyone wants their little yeah. exploration where they do their own thing. Waiting for the live album. <laughs> so in January 2014, they announced their sixth album, Imaginary Enemy. Like, they literally only released the EP in June. Or sorry, in the June or July. And then in January, they had their album. Yeah, it's that's what like, I mean. What are you it's... doing? Too much, too much. So they went on a co-headline US tour with Taken Back Sunday in March and April and then released the album in the April. So it was the first album released by the band's second record label, Gas Union. Why do they need a second one? I don't know. And I was trying to Google it and there's like no information and I have no idea why they have a second one now. No idea. And this album was also released by Hopeless Records as well as Gas Union. Huh? I don't, I don't understand it. I'm not going to lie. I don't know how record labels work any record labels out there want to explain to us (laughs) what's happening here we need to know (laughs) so this was produced by john feldman so so far artwork is the only one that's not the album was recorded what they call backwards with the vocals recorded first and then the music added after weird how does that work i don't know like interesting he just like goes in and is just like a stranger in the house, a stranger in the house. And then they have to be like, mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. I just read the name of a book over there. That's not a song that he used. <laughs> but apparently they tried this because the songs that they were recording the usual way around weren't sounding good. All so these bands and these weird techniques. Yeah. But they ended up scrapping all the songs that they had started and started again being like, okay, let's try backwards. Oof. And apparently that oh. worked. So the album was greatly influenced by Bert's Daughter. And it has two singles, Cry and Revolution. So do you, you don't have any thoughts? No, because I feel like this was the stage where I kind of was getting past my emo phase. Mm. So I wouldn't have like cared about the release of it or anything. Yeah, no, I don't even remember it coming out. Yeah. I don't remember like half these albums coming out. No. But listening to it in the lead up to this, it's more political. There's a lot of politics going on. Is this one of those, what way did Benji Madden describe it? Like a selfish album. Where they're like, let's just make think- one about what we want to talk about. I think it's them kind of trying to grow up a little bit and be like, hey, we can't keep singing about heartbreak forever. Yeah, like, let's talk can, about guys. politics. That's and all it's like, we care about. Mm, no one's really into politics that much. No. Well, like, not saying people aren't into it, but they want to sing about it. Yeah. Because this is the one that has that song, what's called, like, uh, Not Throwaway Generation or something. Don't know. Mm. This album doesn't get, uh, like, I don't get it. It's fu- Again, the songs aren't so bad that I'd want to skip past them. But they're not, like, I'm not like, oh, can't wait to put that album yeah. on again. It's just like, mm. Whatever. So in August, they went on an Australian tour with Taken Back Sunday and then back to the US in September and October with support from Frankie Euro. <gasps> Partway through the tour, they released a split final EP featuring two songs by Taken Back Sunday and two songs by The Used. Like, did they just do that like halfway through the tour? They're like, yo, do you know what we should do? Stick two of our songs on a vinyl each. Where do they get time for this? I don't know. But I think that's cool because like, I presume it's just on the merch stands of yeah. the thing. And it's like, if that you love cool. both bands, that's a really cool thing to have. That is super cool. They're doing a lot of touring with Take Back Sunday. Yeah. 
Didn't know. Would you like it? Because I'm like, we're throwing back to our Take a Max yeah, Sunday episode, yeah, which if yeah. you haven't listened to, you should. Go listen to that episode, guys. We're throwing back to Frankie Euro. So if you haven't listened to our My Chemical Romance, what does it like? My Chemical Romance episode. <laughs> Go listen, listen to, to that. It. In February 2015, they announced that Quinn Allman, the guitarist, would be taking a temporary leave of absence. <gasps> Is this because... He's on drugs. Can't remember. So, <laughs> Justin Chikoski of Sayosin stepped in as a touring member. Ah, I love Sayosin. So they went on more tours. They did Taste of Chaos, etc. And in November 2015, they announced that Quinn amicably parted ways with the band and Justin was going to be a permanent member. Wait, what? So, he left Sayosin to be... Oh. I don't know what the story was Sayosin at the time, but... Well, I suppose the use the use now. So... <laughs> So Quinn later went on former bandmate Brandon's podcast, which was called 801 Punks, and said that he intended to return to the band for their anniversary tour, but he became aware of the band's decision to fire him completely on their Facebook announcement. Ah, uh, no. Mm. Surely not. Mm. So now we're Quinn and Brandon. Is that him? Yeah. Is that who we're talking about? Um, because they're bonding over their... Firing <laughs> Apparently So Quinn continues to write, record and produce music As well as manage up and coming artists So he's still in the music scene But that's I think that's, that's pretty sad him, yeah. He's not in Rancid The way Brandon is <laughs> Oh he, he also performed on Andy Black's debut al- uh, solo album The Shadow Side Who's Andy Black? He has one single that I like that's very catchy And then I just never bothers to listen to anything <laughs> else after that <laughs> He's no Samantha Mumba <laughs> So Bert said about Justin from Sayson joining his lust for life and passion for art is inspiring. It's been a fire underneath the used. It's a new chapter of a brand new book. And he also said, since Justin became a part of the used, it's been nothing but exciting for the next step. There's all these subtle digs they come out with after where it's, they really kind of say, it was shit when you were still in it. Now you've left and it's great. The What I couldn't get over from everything I was reading, the love story between Bert and Justin from Sayson. Like... <laughs> He was literally like I was I there was so much love and so much like he's the best person I've ever met. He's been amazing for the band. He's like given us a new lease of life. He's lit this passion, this creativity, blah. I was like, are they having sex? Like and no offense if they are, absolutely you do you. But like it was insane the amount that they were like oh. licking each other's arseholes. Oh no, please. <laughs> so in April twenty sixteen the used released a live album called Live and Acoustic at the Palace as it was recorded in the palace in LA and it was a CD-DVD combo and it included an intimate performance featuring a four-piece string quartet, a harpist, piano player and a three-piece gospel choir. So that sounds cool, but I'm just wondering, is there ever going to be a band where we don't have a live album? No. (laughs) Have they all done it? Spoiler alert, never going to (laughs) happen. Uh, I haven't listened to this, but it sounds really cool. It does sound cool. You know, it sounds like... Yeah, I just as soon as I see live, I don't even bother going there. Yeah. But the band were so inspired by this that they wanted to reflect their live sound on the next album. So they spent all of 2016 touring to celebrate their 15th anniversary. Every city they played, they played two shows back to back with the first night playing their self-titled album start to finish ah. and the second night in love and death in its this entirety. This sounds be familiar. Yeah, fans love this, but yeah. like I would I would love this. I would, I would love die this for so this. much, yeah. In October 2017, they released their seventh album, The Canyon, through Hopeless Records. So this album was produced by Ross Robinson. So I had to go and look who up da- who is he. That I was is like, not John Feldman. Feldman. <laughs> I was like, where is John Feldman? And who the fuck is Ross Robinson? But Ross Robinson produced Corn, Slipknot, Limp Bizkit, The Cure, Sepultura. Okay, fine. But also one of these things is not like the other because everything's really heavy. And then it's like The Cure. But, 
So this was recorded using analog equipment with no click tracks or backing vocals to achieve a raw sound. Uh-huh. It is dedicated to a friend of Bert's called Tregan, who shot himself in Provo Canyon after coming off his antidepressants oh. for about a week. Jesus. So this album, when I turned it on, because the first time I ever listened to it was in the run up to this episode. Yeah. When I turned it on, the very first thing is like Bert being really sad and being like, this is all about you. And yeah. Blah, 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 blah. And I was like, what the fuck is okay, this? Okay, this makes more sense. Mm. I was like, what on earth is this? <laughs> <laughs> the first time I listened, I was like, I have no idea what's going on. I was like, who the fuck is Tregan? Why are we sad? What's happening? And then I did this research and then I listened to it again. And I was like, oh, okay, it makes more sense that now. That just makes sense. It has three singles over and over again, Rise Up Lights and The Nexus. So here we go again with more of the love story. Bert and Justin bonded over loss. Justin over his dad who died in a car crash 10 years prior. And Bert obviously over his friend Tregan. But I was like, I don't really see the similarities. Like, obviously they both were grieving. But like, first of all, the similarity is they're both dead. That's like, all you need. Justin's dad. Like, it's his dad. Like, it's his... Maybe the car crash was in the canyon. Oh, maybe. <laughs> but it's just like that was also 10 years prior so it's yeah. not like fresh grief the way Bert was feeling yeah. I don't know but anyway here they are licking each other's bums again <laughs> Bert said we've never had a more connected time creatively I've never felt closer to peace and my understanding of peace being this aggressive selfless drive to create something to explode into history as one as all not as an individual so many just monuments and huge moments that when we were done I was overwhelmed <laughs> do you think they like hear themselves when they speak well to be fair Bert has so many of those like tracks where he's just talking yeah but what on earth is he saying (laughs) who knows but it's a lot of words this album was critically acclaimed Mm, this is my least favourite and I'm sorry I'm sorry about Tregan and the dead dad I'm sorry I do not like this album (laughs) why do all these bands gotta sing about their dads it's so sad like this album is just like bummer yeah it is yeah (laughs) So they went on a US tour with support from Glassjaw and did some acoustic sets with just Bird and Justin, which Rolling Stone magazine deemed powerful. Who else is in the band at this stage? So we Jeff. have Dan Whitesides. Dan Whitesides on drums. Jeff, the bassist, who's been there since the start. Yeah. And Bert and Justin licking each other's bums. <laughs> I just, this love story is outrageous, okay? <laughs> and if, if you thought you were ready... Oh, I'm not ready. Who leaves? Who Wait dies? for a twist. A twist no one saw coming. No, he leaves. In January 2018, following a dispute over payment for the album and tour, Justin was dismissed. <gasps> no. Dismissed? Dismissed. Divorced. <laughs> Gonzo. Bert and Justin got a divorce. In March, they released him from the band section of their Facebook and edited him out of their promo photos. Oh, that's awkward. <laughs> I love it. It's so childish. <laughs> At the end of April, Joey Bradford from the band Hell or High Water appeared in videos of the band practicing for their upcoming tour. Mm. And in May, gossip site TMZ reported that the used had issued a restraining order against Justin. What? <laughs> it gets like, worse. Like the whole band. Or, Hold on. <laughs> or just Bert. The whole band issued a restraining order against Justin. Yeah. Sayerson. As he allegedly threatened to hang himself in the middle of a show as retaliation for the band ruining his life and stealing his creative work. Oh my god, that's awkward. <laughs> like in the middle of one of their shows? Yes! Oh my god. 
hang on, I'm so confused. I was so shook because I just couldn't get over the love story. And then this was the last thing I saw coming. Romeo and Juliet. (laughs) I am shook here. I know. This is why I told you this is going to be a good episode. We've gone from licking each other's arseholes to literally getting a restraining order. Yeah. Oh, no. So in May then they officially announced that Justin was no longer in the band due to personal and artistic differences. Because he can't be within 100 metres of us. So they clarified that the restraining order was a precaution to keep band crew and fans safe but did address Justin's threat saying even and especially in the toughest times the threat of suicide should never be taken lightly. So I mean it was kind of a rumour that came out on TMZ but the band addressed it like yeah it literally is a true story also random that it was on tmz yeah so in august 2018 there was a legal hearing where the judge rejected the band's request to make the restraining order permanent oh justin's lawyer said the trial was a ruse to cheat justin out of royalties oh and in 2019 justin sued the band for royalties and damages but it was settled out of court i because to be fair he probably did deserve some of those royalties so i mean yeah fine just pay the man so he doesn't hang himself on stage you know nobody wants that so the band went on to sign with big noise music group which don't tell me they re-released something with a co-release with some other third record label no but big noise (laughs) music group is john feldman's record label oh john feldman we've come full circle yes love john (laughs) so in april 2020 they released their eighth album heartwork which was produced by john can't you tell because and they're it's a back banger. they're back can't you tell never leave John Feldman again <laughs> so again they recorded 27 songs for the album released it with 16 but then went on to release a deluxe version of the album in September 2021 featuring the other 11 tracks again banging out those songs banging 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 out bangers <laughs> <laughs> so this album has four singles Blow Me Paradise Lost a poem by John Milton Cathedral Bell and The Lighthouse this album I fucking love it I love it so much I discovered it during COVID. So it did come out around that time. April 2020 it came out. And I was going on my silly little daily walks. My two kilometre walks. And they used that new album out. And I was like, fuck all, listen to this. And just, it was my walking album. Like, it's just, the words that's coming to my head right now, which I've probably never used to describe anything in my entire life, is groovy. Like, (laughs) it just makes you want to groove, you know? Yeah, it's so good. So in October 2021, they recorded 11 songs in 11 days for their ninth album. They released the single Fuck You the same month. February this year, they released the song People Are Vomit. And in April, they released the single Numb. Hang on, 11 songs in 11 days? Yeah. There's something going on there. Are they all on drugs? Like, I'm no, sorry, I don't they're mean they're not like, on drugs anymore. <laughs> I don't mean like cocaine all. I mean like some sort of caffeine-induced psychedelic drugs that just keeps them awake <laughs> and creative. So their new album, Toxic Positivity will be released on May 19th which is this Friday but I don't oh. know when this episode will be out so possibly today <laughs> oh, I didn't know that yeah oh yeah the, the artwork's really cool it's all these like skeletons throwing up roses and stuff <laughs> we are so current so I current. just feel like you know we talked about Fallout Boy then Fallout Boy released new stuff we talked about Funeral for a Friend then they announced their tour we are changing the universe here guys you <laughs> might not know it we're bringing emo back. Yeah. And is this the end now? Yeah, that's basically the story. So I just want to talk a little bit about Bert and Jeff. So belt with a PH. They're the only two original members. And there's no information about Jeff anywhere. Oh. 
He doesn't have a Wikipedia page. He doesn't. What's that? Yeah. Well, he, he obviously wants it that way. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I didn't even look on Instagram. I was just trying to find out like more about his life and like his story and yeah. stuff because he's been there the entire time, but no information. Oh, poor little Jeff. Yeah. So a little bit about birth then. Obviously, I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to find some controversy as if there wasn't enough throughout the entire fucking episode. But in 2008, Bert married his Australian fiance Alison. Five years later, they relocated to Sydney, uh, where in January 2014, their first daughter, Cleopatra Rose, was born. <laughs> like, not the worst name I've ever heard, but... No. I hope she has a fringe. No offence. The worst name you've ever heard. I'm about to tell you for their second daughter. <laughs> oh, Christ. <laughs> so, their second daughter was born in March 2018. Minerva Bloom. <laughs> oh, no. Minerva. 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 That's like, that just sounds like Minerva. <laughs> Minerva. <laughs> Those poor children, Cleopatra oh, and Minerva. What would you even shorten that to? Min? Mini? Mini. Mini's probably cute. Yeah, it's probably cute until you're an adult. Let's go with Nerva. <laughs> Nerva you. <laughs> oh, Bert, what are you thinking? Oh. So, Bert struggled with addiction and alcoholism, but has been clean since 2012. So, I actually did watch another documentary on, well, not a documentary, a video on YouTube, like a half an hour video. That was just talking to him. Now, the video was a bit weird because it was an ad for like some um, cannabis company. <laughs> so it was like, tell us about your struggles with addiction in the past. <laughs> and he started, he was like smoking crystal meth when he was like 14 or something oh. like some crate. Like he was on drugs so early, like way before the used even started. Yeah. He was on mad drugs. <laughs> and when you watch like that first documentary about them. He's just off his face all the time. Like oh he's so messy and he looks like he smells and he's like, like he's just Has he had a shower? A Do we know? If you see this document or this video that I watched yeah. where he was talking about being clean, he looks incredible. Can I look him up now? I haven't seen him in a while. He is looking brilliant. He goes to the gym all the time. He stays at home, focuses on his daughters. Ah, oh, Jesus. He's there so he is clean. Now. He looks like he smells nice. Ah, uh, look at him there! He's so cute. Oh, he looks so happy. And I've never, I've never like fancied him because I always just thought no, he looked gross. That look, he is so classic, Bert McCracken. Yeah, here. with the long black yeah. hair. Always looked smelly. And mm. nowadays, I'm like Bert. Like where have you been hiding? Stinks in that. <laughs> he stinks in that photograph. You can tell. <laughs> oh look, he's so he's cute. He's lovely. He's so cute. Ah, uh, I'm delighted for him. Oh, I think. Wait, where's that? I think that's like from the, the video that I watched. Oh, what's oh, fair play to him. But, so basically he gave up drugs because he wants to have kids. And his wife said, if you want to have kids, give up drugs. So he did. Fair play to her. Yeah. It was and fair play easy. to him for being like, I want kids so bad. I'm going to do it. And now like he says he has a completely different life. Like he just hangs out with his daughters all the time, goes to the gym and smokes a lot of weed. Which he said, like, he's been to treatment and obviously they don't agree with that. Yeah. But he said, it's my journey. And he said, weed is different. It's not like meth. Yeah, yeah. Well, to be fair, if you were going to be on meth or you're going to be on weed. Yeah. We'd choose the I'm mad on the weed. <laughs> <laughs> said like a true druggie, Claire. <laughs> <laughs> That's me. Um, but yeah, no, he's, he's doing well. He looks great he and he looks healthy and yeah. smells nice, I imagine. Have you seen them play live? Never. So I was thinking this, is this the first band we've done where neither of us have seen them live? They are literally top on my list of yeah, bands that I yeah, want to see live. Yeah. If I could choose any them. band, yeah. I want to see them. They're on the book list. 
What about Coachella? I mean, I would like obviously if they announced a show tomorrow, I would go. But I'm not like I would if, die to see Good Charlotte. So what if it was like the world's gonna end unless you go see the used or Good Charlotte? The used, like hundred percent. Yeah, okay, fine. I'd be the same. Really want to see them live? Unless Good Charlotte, we're like we're gonna play little things, and I'd be like, fuck that, I'm going. <laughs> so that was pretty pretty much it. Apart from last year, they had to cancel their performance at Slam Dunk because Bert had mental health concerns, and he said he needed to take time off to work on himself. Did I mention I'm going to Slam Dunk? You did. We've come full circle in this episode. <laughs> oh, we have. And the last little tidbit that I wanted to add in is that Bert features on You Know What They Do to Guys Like Us in Prison. Does he? By Michael Michael Romance. I did not know that. Neither There's another bromance. Yeah. Now, we've come to the end of the episode and the word pervert has not been mentioned once. I do not believe Bert <gasps> McCracken is a pervert. There are no perverts. <laughs> Delete this episode. <laughs> that's it we have to scrap the whole fucking thing surely there has to be a pervert amongst them somewhere I'm sure they did loads of bad things with the trespassing and oh yeah the <laughs> amount of drugs and but like I I don't know I get the impression you know those people who are like too fucked up to do like bad things like I don't think he was in sound mind enough to yeah. like be like trying to get it underage girls like I think he was just off his face all the time <laughs> vomiting off the stage like you know what I mean yeah I'm delighted that was wholesome it was. That was a wholesome episode. There was so much drama, but when so it comes to the end, it's drama. like, lovely. Although, I feel sad that everyone got kicked out of the band. It makes me feel Bert McCracken a bit controlling. Maybe. Does he control the band? Oh, I think, I think Quinn, I uh, can't remember which one it was, I think it was Quinn, that was living a completely different life, they said, because he was still doing lots of drugs and lots of drinking. And the rest of the band had cleaned up. Yeah. So it just, it wasn't aligning, like it wasn't working for them. That's fair. Which does make sense. Like. That does make sense. But really horrible if you're just like a party animal and like loving life, but then your band decide they're all getting clean and you're like kicked what about out because you're not. Yeah. Wasn't that the same with Taking Back Sunday and Adam Lazar? Mm. I've seen a lot of common themes now. The more yeah. we do this, like there's a lot of common themes with bands. A lot of stuff emerging. Yes. So, what is your song on repeat? So, I texted you today and was like, this song is great. It's clean cut heels. Yeah, it's a really good song. So good. Listen to it about five times on the way over here. It's like, <laughs> so good. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good one. My one is Cathedral Bell from the same album. Oh. Because... I find it really hard to choose because there are so many songs I love and I was repeating whole albums as opposed to just single songs. But when I first started listening to Heartwork on my little COVID walks, I kept going back to Cathedral Bell over and over again. I really thought... It's just like that starts with like the door closing and then it's like... Oh, that album is just so good. Yeah, and I've been listening to it so much coming up to this and I'm like, no, I have to listen to the albums I haven't listened to a lot. But then I'm like, I'll just listen to Heartwork one more time. (laughs) It's so good. So I'm hoping Toxic Positivity is as good. Yeah, I hope it's on the same vibe. I've listened to their two... Well, two of their new singles and Fuck You is a really good song. (laughs) People Are Vomit, not not as much. Yeah, I'm not... Too excited by these titles. <laughs> Fuck you, people are vomit. And then the album's called Toxic Positivity. I mean, I like it. I feel like it's a follow-on of Heartwork only, you know, that little talking section that Bert does where mm-hmm. he's like blunt force kindness and stuff he says yeah. on Heartwork and now it's like Toxic Positivity. Like yeah. it feels like the same vein. Yeah. That's we what I'm feeling. I, I love that little talking part because I just love the music in the background. <laughs> you can see Danny's eyes when she that. And my name on Twitter for like the whole of COVID was Danny Blunt Force Kindness <laughs> for that very reason. So what's your song to skip? 
Ah, yesterday's feelings. What? Yeah, I just. How could you choose such a classic? It's the fest. And it's the. I don't know if it's the way he sings it. It just makes. It's just very like whiny. It doesn't excite me. And I skip it every time it comes on. I'm like, nope. I know. Controversial. I found it so difficult to choose a song to skip. And I never thought I would come to this with any band. Usually it's the opposite. But even as I was saying, like some of the albums don't like resonate with me, but they weren't, there weren't any songs. I was like, this is terrible. Turn this off. It was just like, oh, this is kind of good, but it's not what I want from the used. Yeah. So (laughs) I'm going to be the world's biggest cunt and say, (laughs) oh no. It's the, that very first fucking song from the canyon. I was going to say, is it the one about Tregan? Crying about his friend Tregan. And I'm like, man. And it, more so than the song, I think it's a horrible way to start an album. And I know that the album is dedicated to his dead friend. I know. But I'm never going to want to turn on an album and be like, right, time to get devastated. Unless it's Day Seeker. That's an, the exception. <laughs> yeah, but you have, that's a whole vibe, Day Seeker. Yeah. But I'm like, wow, I really just want to listen to this first song on the album that's absolutely devastating. Yeah, you like, just go straight to You need to, to ease two. yourself into that. You need some like catchy bangers and then like the end of the album, it kind of gets a bit sad. Yeah, or if it was like an interlude, we'd be okay yeah, with that. You don't start an album with yeah. that sad song. Where's so I, I don't think I'm going to be listening to The Canyon too many times because I don't like the album, <laughs> but I just feel if I was going to listen to it, I'd automatically skip past the first song. Was this a song or the album that was produced by Ross? Yeah, well, I think so. That's all we need to know, isn't it? Yeah, Ross. What's your story? <laughs> what the fuck are you thinking? Bring back John Feldman. John Feldman is an angel. <laughs> but it's really making me think of who's that dancer. Is it John Bowman or something? I don't know. He's on like Strictly Come Dancing. I'm just imagining him producing all these used albums. No, but I actually listened to a Goldfinger song when I was in Glasgow. Because I was like, I have no idea who they are. <laughs> Why is there a James Bond song? Gold no, finger? gold member you're thinking of. Is it though? No, gold finger. They're just a proper like ska band. Like just imagine a ska band in your head. Oh, yeah, That's yeah. exactly what they sound like. <laughs> I don't think I'll be listening. Yeah. Not my, not my vibes, but love John Feldman. One love of my faves. John yep. <laughs> I enjoyed that name. Such a good episode. Yeah. I'm happy with that one. Guys, guys. that was a great episode. If we Excellent, do so probably. Ourselves. I'm brilliant at my job. <laughs> <laughs> so what is the next episode going to be? Oh, this was a tough one because I feel like we've done all the big ones now. We've done the big names. We've done the ones that most people will have heard of. Now we're getting into the maybe slightly more niche ones. Maybe weren't as successful or as well known. Oh, if you don't. I was a toss up between two. But I am now... Definitely picking <laughs> Senses Fail. <laughs> because I love Senses Fail, or I loved Senses Fail. Buddy Nielsen was like my absolute idol. Love him so much. So I'm just going to do it. I don't care if nobody's heard of them or nobody knows anything about them. I've heard of Senses Fail. Uh, when I think of Senses Fail, I always think of you because when I See? met you, you were obsessed with them. I was obsessed. And with I had them. never heard of them. And you were like, Senses Fail! And I think you like burned me some CDs. I probably did because mm. we were that cool. So <laughs> that's the next one, guys. Can't wait for it. Also, we are doing something very exciting this Saturday. We'll give a shout out to our friends at Give Them Hell Clothing. We are going to their summer launch on Saturday. Can't wait for that, girls. Yes, I'm excited about that and to properly meet the girls. Yeah. Our fellow elder emos. We might put up a few photos. And on Friday night, which I presume this episode is probably going to be up on Friday, we're going to see Crown the King and Jodie Sinclair. Yeah. Where are they playing again? Grand Social. Grand Social. Yep. So we've got tickets for that. So we have a very busy social weekend, guys. Woohoo! Woohoo! Can't wait. 
And by the time we record the next one, I'll probably have been to Slam Dunk. Yeah, so we can talk all about it. So I can't wait. So if you want to follow us on our socials, listen to Danny here. <laughs> so we are Foundations of Emo on Instagram and on TikTok. And we are Foundations Emo on Twitter. Okay, thanks guys. Bye. Bye.